0: This Cap Times podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences Corporation, the makers of Colagard. Learn more at exactsciences.com.
1: the Cover, a weekly Mad Splainers feature. I'm podcast producer Natalie Yar, and each week I sit down with the reporter behind our latest cover story to find out why it matters. Today I'm talking with CapTimes Metro reporter Nicholas Garten, whose latest cover story looks at the relationships between Madison's police and Black youth. Welcome to the podcast, Nick.
0: Thanks for having me, Natalie. It's
1: great to have you back. So this is clearly a time when a lot of people are thinking about policing. What made you want to focus in on the way Black youth in Madison feel about police?
0: Well, I think that there's a huge disconnect between the Madison Police Department and Black people in general, but especially young people. And one thing that my editor and I talked about when crafting the idea to do this story is that Madison police will do all kinds of stuff to reach the community, like cops playing basketball with kids or fixing kids' bikes or things I mentioned in my articles in terms of working with mentorship programs. But then later on, they come in and arrest those same kids' parents or uncles or aunts or harass and arrest those actual kids. And it makes all of those other efforts just look sort of political. And one thing that we talked about was that oftentimes an officer, you know, and we had like specific examples of of this, but oftentimes an officer will spend hours of the day working with youths in an area. And then at night, a different officer who didn't do that work, you know, in Madison Police You know, a lot of the officers are from, like, Lodi or Dane or Wanakia or, like, out-of-towners coming in to an area they don't know anybody and arresting people or harassing people. And so it's like all of these efforts ended up being rendered kind of meaningless.
1: One of the people you talked to described Black youth as being kind of confused about the police. What did he mean?
0: He meant that... Some of the kids that he works with, and this was Timothy Hall, who runs this wonderful program, Life as a Boy. He said that a lot of the kids are confused that the people who are supposed to be protecting them are the very people killing them or causing them harm. And that that is sort of a a difficult concept, because when you're a kid, especially, you're thinking, you know, when I grow up, I'll be a, a fireman or a policeman or, a, you know, a doctor or something. And, you know, you sort of look up to these people and they're also the people that save you, you know, when there's something going on. But in this case and in the cases we're seeing across the country, the police who are supposed to be protecting the community are the ones causing the most harm i mean you know we just a few weeks ago and the reason that this cover story was actually delayed is because of the shooting of jacob blake in kenosha and you just think like as a black kid growing up you're looking at that like well i don't really want to call the police i mean they might just end up shooting me and so there's this betrayal of trust because the position they hold is supposed to be the pinnacle of trust in our society. And they've lost that trust. And I know that that's something that Chief Wall here in Madison has been concerned about and has repeatedly said he said this to me personally that anytime there's an incident like you know what happened in Kenosha, it erodes all of the well actually the word he used is destroys all the work that police do to build trust in the community.
1: And in your story, you describe an incident that happened here in Madison on a city bus in February where the police ended up interacting with some black young people. First of all, what happened that led the police to be there in the first place?
0: Yes, what happened was that, you know, a young woman in her 20s had entered the bus. This was a a young black woman. And this was, you know, on the east side of Madison going towards Warner Park. And she had her three kids with her, one of whom was just an infant in her arms. And a, you know two of her kids had gone past the bus driver. Um, the bus driver had said something to the effect of, you know, the other one's gotta come up and pay because her kids didn't pay. And they had sort of a back and forth about it and he ended up kicking her off the bus. And then he drove up another block and blew the horn at her Um, saying she could get back on. So she got back on and was like, how could you, you know, kind of disrespect me in front of my kids, which was really kind of just a sensitive point for her that he was really gruff with her. And he ended up kicking her off the bus again. And three black teen boys in the back of the bus were saying to the bus driver leave her alone and they came to the defense of this woman and was like you're messing with her just let her be she's obviously stressed out about this whole interaction because the bus driver was going to let her on a third time and they you know kept saying just leave her alone and the bus driver said to the boys that if they didn't like it they could either go back to their seat or get off the bus. And one of them, you know, these are high school boys. So, you know, one of them kind of tongue in cheek mentioned that what they could do was, you know, whoop your ass. And the bus driver was like, I'm calling the police.
1: And when the police showed up, what happened from there? And what does it tell us about this relationship between Madison police and Black youth?
0: When the police showed up, the officer got on the bus and started screaming at these three teen boys. And now I know this because I've seen the entirety of the video. I just want to put that out there that, you know, there's surveillance video on Madison Metro buses, you know, they have the audio and everything. So I've seen the whole like hour and a half sequence that took place here. So she came on the bus out of control, yelling at the boys to sit down Um, One of them didn't really sit down. He just sort of half sat and leaned on a railing because he was feeling kind of uncomfortable, like visibly in this video. And, you know, she was like, sit down. And he was kind of like, I am. And another person on the bus who was filming this for Facebook was, you know, try to ask the officer questions. She told him to get the F away from her. And she was just kind of flying around the bus, yelling at everybody. And eventually she grabbed her taser and threatened to tase this kid if he didn't sit down or if he didn't turn around and give her his hand so she could handcuff him, which he then did while everyone else on the bus was like, wow. And so she took him to jail and gave him disorderly conduct for basically not sitting down when she told him to sit down. They got to the jail and the officer realized that these boys were actually just sticking up for this woman who was being sort of harassed by this bus driver, and she decided to not give him a disorderly conduct ticket. However, later on in the week when the Capital Times began investigating, she changed her mind and served this kid with a a $439 disorderly conduct ticket saying that he threatened this bus driver in the course of sticking up for this woman. And, you know, we had a lot of back and forth in the office about reporting the story, but the reason why it's in my article and the reason why it's so important to me as a Black person is that it shows how thin the margins of error are. Because we had all of these issues transpiring. We had the bus driver who's totally, out of everyone in this incident, is the most in the wrong. If we could show the tape and have people see how he was talking to this lady, it's outrageous. And these three kids were sort of heroic for sticking up for her. But when the police come, it shows how there's all of these stereotypes and prejudices that are sort of fixed into why we call police. When they showed up, they didn't ask anyone any questions, didn't ask these kids their names for identification. They didn't ask them what happened. They didn't ask the bus driver what happened. They just got on the bus and started screaming at these kids. And the only saving grace really of why this isn't a bigger story is that she reached for her taser and not her firearm. And all the other elements of racial profiling, of fear of black youth, of expecting that these kids were going to be violent, that lead to a lot of these police shootings nationally all those elements are the same and it shows how razor thin the margin is for officers between having sort of a national incident or an incident in which this kid could have been shot and killed versus versus not. And it really bothered me to, to my core, Natalie, in a way that I can't even express on this podcast how thin that margin is And how important it is for us as a news outlet to report it. This podcast is brought to you by Exact Sciences. Join the Madison-based team working to lead earlier cancer detection. Visit exactsciences.com to view the company's hundreds of open jobs. Now,
1: you also talked with... Officer Wayne Strong, an MPD veteran who also spent years as a school police officer. And he told you about how he tries to get kids to see the good that police officers do, even though he also acknowledges that there's some bad as well. Why is that such a challenging task? Well,
0: there were a ton of layers to that. Wayne, he was a police officer for more than 25 years. And... When they first started the ERO contract with high schools and at that time, middle schools in 1999, to have police officers in school, uh, Wayne was one of the first people to sign up because he wanted um, young black kids to see him in his uniform. And so that he could have relationships with them and role model for them and mentor them which he, of course, did. Um, He is an integral part of the Southside Raiders, which is a youth football team in Madison that has transcended the lives of countless youths over the last 50 years. And it's such a challenging task, though, according to Wayne, because... When they first started doing it, it was all about that mentorship. You know, a lot of kids would say to him, I've never seen a black cop before. And he was really proud of that. And you could hear it in his voice when he was talking to me. But that sort of eroded over the years and decades that they've been doing this, you know, ERO and SRO contract in ways that bothered him. And so it became more challenging than it was in the beginning. Because of the citations and just different things that they, you know, they were having issues in school where, you know, ostensibly they're there to protect the school from, you know, a school shooter or something like that. But obviously ended up sort of citing and arresting black kids super disproportionately. And Wayne was frustrated about that being the outcome when it's so different than what he set out to do. And what he has done in his career,
1: and what are some of the specific ways that Madison police are trying to repair the department's relationship with black youth?
0: Well, when I spoke with Timothy Hall, he gave a really powerful example, um, because all of the youth mentors that I spoke to, which are many, you know, I spoke with Kalim Kara, I spoke with Timothy Hall, with Wayne Strong, with Will Green. And all of them have had officers come in and work with the youth that they're mentoring. And Tim was telling me about how police showed up at, you know, the Vera Court Neighborhood Center, which is where Life as a Boy, his program resides. And the officers answered questions from the kids. And one of the questions was sort of why do you hate us? Why like, you know, as black and brown kids, why do you hate us? Why do you target us? And the police's answer was that, you know, there's bad apples everywhere. But just like, you know, obviously all black kids and brown kids aren't criminals, even though they're often criminalized. The same is true with officers. And one of the things that he thought was really powerful about that was that it was such an honest conversation between you know these are middle school age kids and officers and i think that that's the number one thing that madison police are trying to do to repair the relationship was just show up different places in uniform and be open and get to know people you know get to know kids or get to know youth mentors and community leaders And I think that that is an honest, ongoing effort that's been happening.
1: And yet we know that the relationship is potentially still a challenging one. Uh, What did these mentors say they thought it would take to finally fix the relationship?
0: Well, that was sort of the million-dollar question. And one of the things that Will Green told me, and Will Green obviously is a youth mentor who runs Mentoring Positives, in the darbo Worthington neighborhood and is the most respected grassroots organizer in Madison. He told me it's all about the person in the uniform and it's all about getting to know each other and having dialogue and having, you know, these relationship building moments. And he thought that it was real, real important that the people who come into especially areas like Darby Worthington are people who know the families who know you know the leaders um who know the youth who know the layout of the neighborhood and that sort of having outside people come into these spaces is sort of detrimental but what fixes that is people who who are there and part of the landscape and part of the neighborhood he felt like that was the thing that that fixes these issues and these relationships because then if there is an incident and we all know each other we're all better off because i'm not scared you're not scared we're just working through whatever the problem was
1: yeah Your story, I thought this was really interesting, describes the response to police violence as sort of a simultaneous pleading that Black communities are asking police to treat them with respect. And meanwhile, police are asking Black communities to talk with them and to trust them. From what you learned in your reporting, how do those two goals align?
0: They're missing one another, Um, I think is, is clearly clearly the case and you just look at you know people face to face sort of on the capitol square during protests where you know we're pepper spraying people who are just sitting there and you can see the disconnect and i think that seeing us as people is sort of the mantra of the black community and i think is also what the police are saying sort of in response but i think that the amount of dehumanization that takes place it's too much and it's it's too much for the community to overlook or overcome and that that's where these sort of dueling pleas miss each other is there's just too much it's it's easy to say hey trust us we're not racist we're not this or we're not that. But then we're slamming down a young black activist on the Capitol Square for making threats to three people in a restaurant, while at the same time, armed white supremacist militia people can threaten to kill everyone protesting. And the police are like, hey, you know what? They shouldn't say those kinds of things. And the response disparity there. It's just it's so it's so demeaning and dehumanizing that I think until that stops, they're going to keep missing each other. And so right now, those two goals aren't really aligned.
1: Yeah. And I've been noticing, you know, as I watch these debates over policing play out on a national level, it seems like there are some people who think we need these major changes in policies and about police actions, and others who think we kind of just need police and communities to work on understanding each other and getting along better, kind of this relationship side of things. Based on your reporting, how well do you think those relationship efforts can work on their own? Well, I think
0: that anyone's guess is as good as anyone else's at this point. And I think that the people who are doing the work... You know, they're doing the work, but it gets derailed whenever something happens that breaks all of that trust. And it's not the kind of thing where, you know, we can kind of work on it. When you shoot someone in the back seven times or you shoot a kid in the face, you lose all. That's a 100 percent of the trust you lose now. Like there's no coming back from that. And so... I think that all of these different efforts would be made easier if the police would sort of stop having these incidents. And I know that sounds super simplistic, and I am not trying to be sarcastic or, or cynical. Mm-hmm. But I think that while we are dealing violently with protesters who are just kneeling peacefully... And while we're slamming Black activists down on the pavement and fighting the ad hoc oversight tooth and nail and the disparity between how we treat the kids on the bus versus sort of white militia types, I think that as long as those things are happening, we're never going to get to do the work that all of these organizations and organizers are trying to do but you know m adams for example who leads freedom inc you know they have been successful in removing police from schools and that was top of mind for wayne strong when i interviewed him because he was like man now there's no one who's gonna be there to start forming these relationships with youths and you know obviously m's counter to that is They're not forming relationships with you. They're just targeting them. And so it's all of these. I think we we nailed it right when we just said they're missing one another in their aims for all of these things.
1: Yeah. Nick, thank you so much for being on the podcast.
0: Thanks for having me, Natalie.
1: Listening to my conversation with Cap Times Metro reporter Nicholas Garden, who's always watching the issues affecting Madison's neighborhoods. Tune in next week for a conversation about our next cover story. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to the Mad Splainers on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever else you do your listening, and leave us a review while you're there. Also, be sure to check out our other podcasts, including the Corner Table, all about food and drink in Madison, and Wedge Issues, all about state politics. Until next time.